Crossroad International Church podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. Open with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. We're continuing our series on the book of Galatians. Um, Today, we're going to finish up chapter 4, and I just want to talk for a few minutes about which way do I go. This is a story of Abraham, the life of Abraham, his two sons. And some of the things that Abraham did wrong that we sometimes do ourselves. And so I want to read from Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 to 31. It says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one of a bondwoman and the other of a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise. Verse 24, which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in the Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, as, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted he who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman, So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word. We ask that you would seal it in our hearts by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The reason I titled this, Which Way to Go, you got a path here in the forest. You get to that why and it's, which way do I go? And Abraham, in this story that we're looking at here today, was at that crossroads. Which way do I go? Let me just give you a bit of the story of Abraham from Genesis chapter 12 through 25. It's one of the longest 
sections in the book of Genesis, it talks about one family. When Abraham was 75 years old, according to Genesis 12, 4, God gave him a promise that he would become a great nation and that his descendants would inherit the land that God was sending him to. God told Abraham at 75, he says, go out and look up at the stars. And as numerous as the stars, that will be how many descendants you have. The problem was Abraham and Sarah had no children. Abraham's 75, Sarah's 65, and still no children. The very first thing I did as an ordained minister was I performed the wedding for my dad and my stepmom. My dad was 65, my stepmom was 62. Now, it was a bit interesting as the pastor doing premarital counseling for my father and my new stepmom, especially when you get to the sex talk. But, uh, you know, and I told my dad and my stepmom, I said, you know, at the wedding, I'm going to pray for you guys for the blessing of Abraham. That in your old age, you can have more kids. And my dad said, if you do, I'll slap you, boy. <laughs> but here's the story. Abraham's 75. Sarah is 65. And they have no kids. But yet God promises them that you will have kids and they will possess this land. And so Abraham and Sarah, they end up in, the, in Cana. And according to Genesis 16.3, they have been there now for 10 years. Abraham's now 85. Sarah's now 75. And still no kids. So at the age of 85 or 86, in a lapse of faith, Abraham fathers a child through Sarah's slave, Hagar. That was the custom of the time. If the wife was barren, then one of her handmaids would become the wife of the husband to give an heir. This son's name was Ishmael. And then there was strife in the family because now Hagar, the slave, has a son, and Sarah, the wife, has no son. No child. And so Hagar starts to despise Sarah. And one of the reasons was because Ishmael was the firstborn, he now inherits. So the son of a slave is going to inherit everything that Abraham has. When Ishmael was about 13 years old, Okay, 86, when he's born, 13 years later, God visits Abraham again. Abraham is now 99. Sarah is now 89. And there still is no heir from Sarah. And God says, Sarah will give you a son. The Bible says that she's in the tent and she laughs. 
you know, how can I, being an old lady, give birth? And God says, it will happen. When Isaac was born, nine months later, everything's okay for a while. And then when that little boy is weaned, two or three years old, then the Bible says that Ishmael starts persecuting Isaac. And Sarah gets upset and tells Abraham, chase them away. And Abraham doesn't want to do it because he loves this, his son Ishmael. But God speaks to him and says, do as your wife tells you and I will make a great nation of Ishmael. And God blessed Ishmael. He says, I'll give him 12 sons, just like the 12 tribes. God blessed Ishmael and sent him away. When Abraham's 100, probably 102, 103 years old. For another 70 some odd years, we never hear anything about Ishmael. You only hear about Isaac, because Isaac was the son of promise, and the inheritance that God was sending was to go through Isaac, not through Ishmael. So we don't hear anything about him, but he must have still been in the area, because when Abraham was 175 years old, he died. And Genesis chapter 25, verses 7 through 9, says that Isaac and Ishmael were together to bury their father. So that's kind of a bit of the history behind this, what Paul is talking about here in Galatians. Pastor Brad Beeman said, Isaac was born because God promised. Ishmael was born because Abraham doubted. The great disaster of Abraham's life was that he used Hagar to get what he thought God wanted him to have. Abraham did it his way. Pastor Robert LaRoe says, They may have been thinking, we have to save God from embarrassment of not having the promise fulfilled. So, Rather than just continuing to stand in faith, they've been standing now for years and years and years and nothing. Let me ask you, has God ever promised you something and you know you heard from God, but it didn't happen immediately? Maybe it didn't happen in a week or a month or a year. Abraham waited 25 years for the promise. And maybe he thought, well, you know, I've got to do this. I've got to help God out. See, doing it my way. Now, I'm talking to you as your pastor. I'm preaching to me today. I know none of you ever do it your way. You always, 100% of the time, do it God's way. Because God's way is best, right? That's what the Word says. 
So I don't want you to feel bad, so this is all on me today, okay? I do it my way sometimes. But let me read Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. And Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now sometimes we think God's way is okay, but it needs a little tweak. See, Abraham got it half right. He tweaked the plan of God, and Abraham was the dad of Ishmael, but Sarah was not the mom. God's promise tweaked man's way. Sometimes that we think that God must be out of his mind. Walk around the wall seven times and not say a word and then shout and these huge walls are going to fall down. God, you must be crazy. Come on now. And sometimes we think that maybe our way is better. I have a tendency sometimes to think that I know more than an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing God. I remember when we were taught about tithing and giving. Had trouble paying the bills with 100% and we're supposed to give 10 and the 90% is going to take care of everything. And I just told God, I said, I don't know where you went to school, but where I went to school, if 100% isn't enough, 90 is even less. But your word says it, so I'll try it. And guess what? It works. <laughs> we don't always understand it. Doing things our way brings nothing but trouble. It always blows up in our face and it leads to death. However, if we do it God's way, it always leads to life. Because God's way is best. And in verse 21 through uh, 27 that we read, he gives some symbolism in this passage. There are two sons, he says. One is Ishmael and the other is Isaac. There are two mothers, Hagar the slave and Sarah the free woman. There are two births, one birth of the flesh, natural, and one birth of the promise, Miraculous. There are two covenants. The old covenant, which represents Mount Sinai, where it was given to Moses. And then the new covenant, which represents heaven, which represents the new covenant of the blood of Christ that came down from heaven. He says there are two Jerusalems. The earthly Jerusalem, which is of the law and it is of bondage. And then there is the heavenly, which is of faith, and it brings freedom. It's interesting to note in this whole thing that Paul is talking about, he's speaking to these Judaizers that have come and told the, the Galatians, yeah, I know you were saved by faith. I know your salvation came through the blood of Jesus plus nothing. 
But if you really want to be a Christian, you have to keep the law. And they were saying that the Jews are the, the promised people of God. We are the ones that are free and the Gentiles are all under bondage. But Paul is turning it upside down and he's going, no. The Gentiles are the ones that have the freedom. And the ones that try to keep the law are the ones that are under bondage. See, a lot of things in the kingdom of God are, as Dell would say, they're right side up, but we call them upside down. The first are last. The last are first. If you want to be strong, it's in your weakness that God is strong on our behalf. Those types of things. Paul shows that when we are in Christ, we are truly free. It's not by keeping rules and regulations. In verses 28 to 31, Paul gives some application. And in applying the truth from this biblical illustration, Paul makes some comparisons. The first one in verse 28, Paul compares the birth of Isaac to that of the Christian. Isaac was a miraculous birth, a supernatural birth, and he was the child of promise. You and I, when we are born again, it is a supernatural, miraculous birth. You remember when Jesus came to Nicodemus and he said, you must be born again? And what was Nicodemus' question? How can I, being old, go back into my mother's womb to be born? And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. I'm not talking about a fleshly birth, but a birth in the Spirit. As a child of promise, Christians are in a distinct category and should not live as children under bondage. We have been made free from the law. Now... Do we need to read our Bible? Is that what gets you to heaven? No. Yes, we should read our Bible. We need to read it because this is the rules and regulations of the kingdom of God. But this reading it is not what gets us to heaven. What gets us to heaven is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Bible says we should come to church. But coming to church isn't what gets us to heaven. The spotlight's right on you today, Dora. <laughs> we come to church to fellowship one with another. But this is not what gets us to heaven. Okay? Uh, one of the illustrations I like to use is in the military, sometimes awards or medals are given for honor or for bravery. A soldier does something in war that's extraordinary, and at the end of the campaign or whatever, they come and they award him a medal for bravery. The medal does not make him brave. Okay, 
the medal simply shows that he was brave and they are confirming that. See, I don't come to church to get saved. I come to church because I am saved. I don't read the Bible to be led to salvation. I read the Bible because I am saved and I want to know what my Heavenly Father wants me to do. I don't give because that's going to get me brownie points with God and somehow that's, I'm going to get to jump to the head of the queue in heaven because I gave more than anybody else in church. It doesn't work that way. I give for one reason, because I love my heavenly Father and I want to obey his word and he commands us to give. So we are children of the promise not under bondage. Verse 29, the apostle compares Ishmael's persecution of Isaac to the false teacher's opposition to the believers. It's interesting, if you read the life of Christ and then you read through the New Testament, almost all of the persecution of Christians... Almost all the persecution of Jesus, all the persecution of the apostles, it was all either directly at the hands of religious leaders or because they went to the Romans and complained about what the Christians were doing. Persecution normally comes from inside more than outside. There is outside persecution, but a lot of times it comes from within. And then in verse 30, Paul compares the actions of Abraham to the obligation of the Galatians. In other words, he says, God told Abraham that the son of the bondwoman or the son of the slave would not be the heir. So send her away. Because I'm bringing my promise through Isaac, the son of promise, through Sarah. You and I, as believers, we need to be careful who we hang with. Who we get really close with. So that we're not pulled away from the things of God. I used to do a, an illustration. I think most of the, all the kids are gone. Any kids around? Okay, I need one. Come, somebody. Come on. Oh, that's good. A girl will be awesome. Okay, come stand by me. So, do you think I'm bigger than her? Huh? You think I'm stronger than she is? Huh? Uh, okay. Well, we're going we're gonna to do an experiment. I'm going to get up on this chair, hopefully, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a Christian, and you're going to be an unbeliever. So just, just pretend, okay? I know you love Jesus and everything. And see, one of the things we think as Christians is it's very easy for us to hang around with a lot of the people of the world and pull them up 
where we are. But the reality is, I'm going to try to pull you up here and you pull me down there, okay? <laughs> That's the reality. Okay? Thank you. It's much easier to be pulled down than it is to pull someone up. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have unbelievers as friends. If we have no friends that are unbelievers, it's hard to win people to Jesus. But we need to make sure that the majority of our fellowship is with believers, with people that can encourage us and can lift us up, rather than hanging only with people that pull us down. Now I'm going to get in your stuff for just a minute at work. When people look at you at work, can they tell you from an unbeliever? By the words that you say, by your attitude, by your work ethic, by those things, do you stand out as someone that is a believer in Jesus, or are you just like everyone else? So we have a choice today. Do it our way. Our way leads to frustration, pain, and heartache. Our way leads to stress, worry, and conflict. Our way means we have to learn the hard way. Any of you learn the hard way? Our daughter, you can tell her, Beth, if you do it this way, this is what's going to happen. But if you do it this way, it's much easier. And she goes, yeah, I understand that. And what does she do? This way. She always learns the hard way. And I've met people that way. But when we do it our way, it's always harder than when we do it God's way. And our way leads to slavery. If we do it God's way, God's way leads to peace, joy, and goodness. God's way means getting it right the first time. God's way is easier because it's based on Him and God's way leads to life. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we do it God's way, it will be easier. It doesn't mean there's going to be no problems. When my wife and I were first going to the mission field back in the early 80s, uh, I was traveling to different churches raising the, the funds to go because we weren't sent by a missions organization. We were faith missionaries. And I went to a church and 
a guy came up and said, Brother, I was praying for you, and I felt like God told me that your ministry is going to be an uphill climb. Oh, okay, well, thank you. And I went to another church, and a guy came up and said, You know, he said, as I was praying, I felt like God wanted me to tell you that your ministry is going to be an uphill climb, and it's going to be full of potholes. Oh, wonderful. Okay, cool. Another church uphill full of potholes and barbed wire was going to be stretched across the road. I didn't want anybody else to tell me they'd been praying for me because this is getting kind of bad. <laughs> and then finally one guy said, God wants you to know that you're going to have an uphill climb in your ministry and it's going to be full of potholes and there's going to be barricades across the way. But if you just keep doing what God's called you to do, every time you get to a pothole, he'll fill it. Every time you get to a barricade, he'll help you get through it if you walk with him and don't do it your own way. That was a great word till we got to Africa. And I saw people that needed feeding, so we started feeding. People needed evangelism, so I started crusades. People... Leaders needed training, so I started Bible schools. And every need I saw, I tried to fill it myself. Not doing what God called me to do, but trying to fill every need that I saw. And then a good friend of mine, Andy Clark, a veteran missionary, got me aside one day. And he said, brother... If you keep this up, you're going to kill yourself. He said, you need to know what God's called you to do and do it to the best of your ability and concentrate on what God's called you to do and believe that God is big enough to do what you can't do. Now, isn't that a revelation? See, sometimes we think we have to help God out and do everything that we see, try to meet every need that we see, but it's impossible. I mean, even Jesus said the poor are going to be with you always. You're not going to be able to take care of all of those needs, but just do what God has called you to do. So my challenge for you today is which way will you go? Will you go God's way? Or will you do it my way? Our way? Because see, we, it's hard to do my way and forget about God's way. But it's, it's also difficult just to do what God wants and forget about my ideas and my giftings and my things. See, I have to be careful as a pastor because I can go anywhere at any time and pick up a mic and talk for an hour. I have no problem doing that. But if that's all I do when I come here, then I'm not being a pastor. I'm just a talking head giving out words 
here I can't rely on my own ability, my own giftings to be able to feed you. I have to rely on God to give me a word from him that will speak not to your head, but to your heart. And Dell and I always were talking about this and praying, God, help get us out of the way so that you come forth in our messages and everything that CIC does. Jesus at the center is not just a song. That's what we are all about. To help you get Jesus at the center of everything you do. And when you get him there, you will do things God's way, not my way. Probably most of you are not old enough to have ever heard Frank Sinatra sing, I did it my way. But I remember that was one of my dad's favorite songs. I grew up hearing that all of the time. I did it my way. Well, that doesn't go with the things of God. Let me pray for you. Father, we just come to you right now and we thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that in your word you don't hold back anything. Father, here is Abraham the father of faith, and yet you show us a glimpse into his life when he wavered and he took things into his own hands and he did it his way. And what chaos came from that even to this day. And Father, there's a lot of us here today and we're not Abraham, but we're still your sons and your daughters. And Father, from time to time, we get impatient. We get ahead of you. We do things in our own desire, our own way. And Father, today we come and we say, Father, we're sorry. Forgive us. Help us to be more patient and to wait upon you. And to be men and women that walk by faith, knowing that we've heard from you and that nothing gets in our way. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.